Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash watsonassistant to learn more. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You want to know what really matters to this market? I'll tell you, on a day where the Dow gained 239 points, S&P climbed 1.04%, and the Nasdaq pole vaulted 1.64%, what matters is FANG, but also tariffs and trade. Insane as that pairing may sound, it's what is important. It's what can launch a real rally. Far too many people believe the only thing that matters here is the 10-year treasury. You hear that all the time, right? Uh-uh. If our interest rates go above 3%, then people blindly sell. If rates go below 3%, they buy. Oh, come on. To me, that's a sideshow. The central issues here are trade. If President Trump plays hardball with China or Europe and either of them chooses to retaliate, stocks are going to get hit. But also the stocks themselves, particularly tech. Now, what happens if there's a truce in the trade war? What happens if the Chinese or the Europeans fold? Then I think you get more action like we had today. A huge rally embracing pretty much every sector. Now, today's rally, though, let's, <laughs> I mean, there's no mistake about it. It was led by FANG, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, now Alphabet, because Facebook gave you such an amazing quarter, moving this five. $100 billion stock up 9% and giving the rest of tech a beautiful halo. And once tech gets rolling, big wheels, this strength creates its own rising tide. The list all ships in the sector. Something that seems more likely than not when the A in Fang, Amazon, reported an astounding quarter this very evening, sending the stock up an incredible $100 in after-hours trading. Amazon is a... $1,515 stock, at least that's where it closed, or that's where it was before it reported its number. I'm breathless. So maybe $100 on top of that isn't as spectacular as it sounds. Still, though, it's a $730 billion market cap, so it's a pretty big deal. Remember, I said it will probably be the first stock to go to a trillion dollars, and I'm telling you, it's going to get there. Of course, interest rates were benign today, going down ever so slightly to a tick below 3%. So I am sure these bond aficionados will be crowing that the 10 years in charge, and that's why we rallied. They, they see today's rally as being fundamentally about the bond market. You know what that is? That is hogwash. I get angry. All right. This run began last night when Facebook put up that incredible number, much better than anyone was looking for, including yours truly. Sales were excellent, bottom line hefty. Chatter about the next quarter, the one where they're going to have uh, full, face the full fallout from the Cambridge Analytica fracas, was sparse, but generally viewed as positive. In fact, the only negative in the whole conference call involved what, what could happen when the new European privacy regulations kick in next month. In response, the stock got shot up $15 or 10%. That's stunning. 
There were two conclusions that jumped out at me from this conference call. First, the punditocracy may think the Cambridge Analytica scandal was a big deal, but it seems that Facebook's actually, well, let's say the users feel differently. Again, we don't know what happened in the month of April. Remember, <laughs> this quarter comprised January, February, March. But Facebook's first quarter showed a step up in engagement, something few were anticipating. Perhaps more important, advertising was off the charts strong, up 43%. That's a huge head of stream. Last night, I talked about how Alphabet shocked us with that sky-high capital expenditure number. Even as this spending is totally necessary to meet the vast demand for the company's cloud services, Facebook, on the other hand, kept the spending pretty much in line with predictions. Their CapEx budget still grew like crazy, but we knew it was coming. Memo to Alphabet, get a better hand on your spending so that the next time you report excellent earnings, like earlier this week, your stock will actually go higher, not lower, because you won't have confused people. Of course, the action in Facebook was so good, was so good tonight that it even took up the bedraggled alphabet. Remember, the best thing about Facebook is that it doesn't have to pay for content. You create your own content and give it to them for free. Same with Instagram. That means they make fortunes by just broadcasting your copy. The worst thing about Facebook, though, is this business model has drawn the wrath of Congress. If we get another scandal about this company mishandling or misusing user data, it's entirely possible Congress might decide to start regulating Facebook like a media company instead of a merely uh, mindless pipeline for content. And if that happens, it could crimp the company's bountiful growth. But here's the thing. Even after today's mammoth run, Facebook stock is still a heck of a lot cheaper than most slower-growing companies. Let's compare Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo. It's much cheaper. I mean, seriously, Facebook sells for just 19 times next year's earnings, uh, even as it's growing at a breakneck pace, uh, up 60% in the latest quarter. Why is it so cheap? Because big money managers are convinced that something bad will happen. They figure Facebook will run into a regulatory retaining wall either here or in Europe. If you thought Zuckerberg's appearance before Congress was painful, you should have seen how the British Parliament raked him over the coals when he refused to show up for their hearings on the subject. You want to know how powerful the F in FANG was? I mean, we go over, i got to keep going over this Google, because you know I spent a lot of time talking about it last night. Well, it was up to 20 bucks, and then after the close today, it was up even more. I come back and say, if you want the cheapest in the FANGs now, it's probably Google, now Alphabet. Facebook had a help in tech land today, but you know what else worked? ServiceNow, one of our cloud kings, it reported a fantastic beat, and it roared seven bucks. It moved up all the other kings, including, of course, Salesforce. And you know what? AMD gave you a surprisingly strong number and a profitable number, and the stock zoomed 13%. More on that later. But let's not bury one of the leads. How about Amazon? All right, get this. Amazon sales were up 43%. Sure, staggering, but how about this one? It was supposed to earn a buck 27 Got that? Write that down, $1.27. Instead, it printed, as we call it on Wall Street, $3.27. I've never seen a beat like this. is the biggest beat. I don't know what I've been doing this for. I don't know, 35 years? It's the biggest beat I've ever seen. With that amount of profit, you know what? They can afford to pay the post office even more than the president wants them to. We are so used to Amazon just delivering monster sales that we simply didn't see the big earnings coming. And that's how a stock jumps $100 after it was already up $57 the same session. Frankly, I've been around forever. It's a, no, it's, I didn't believe it. I thought it was a typo. You know what's a shame? 
Here's what's a shame. Intel picked this evening to report one of the most unbelievably good quarters I've ever seen, beating its revenue forecast by a billion dollars and earning 82 cents when the street was looking for 72 cents. That sent its stock up $3 on top of the $3 that already rallied. I feel bad for Brian Krasanich. He's like the Rodney Dangerfield. He's up huge. He's not going to get the respect. Why? Because of the incredible number from Amazon. Still, as good as the numbers from Facebook were this morning, they can't be responsible for today's giant rally. Nor can Amazon. That happened after the bell. It had a lot of help when President Trump's chief economic advisor and my old co-anchor Larry Kudlow came on Squawk on the Street to talk. It was terrific to see him. I mean, these were the Kudlow and Kramer days, remember? But there are no free passes. So we peppered him with questions about how hard the president might be on China. Larry's going to China soon. And while he made it clear he thinks that the Chinese don't play fair, he said he's an optimist that we can come to an agreement with them, one that satisfies both China and President Trump. Oh, that's all the market needed to hear. While the averages opened up this morning, they only really roared higher. You can check the tape. You should see it goes like this. After Larry gave us a positive view of how the trade dispute with China could shake out. Now, I will say this. Larry is always an optimist. I worked with him for years. I know this. But in this case... I actually do think he may be too optimistic, but you know what? You couple the bookends of Facebook and Amazon with the incredible numbers uh, that we get from Intel, and you marry that with Larry Kudlow's assurances, and we could have another strong day ahead of us. So here's the bottom line. At least for today, we stopped worrying about trade, didn't focus on that stupid tenure, and we're able to think about amazing earnings from Facebook and then later this evening from Amazon and Intel. I think the earnings and the less-than-tough talk on trade makes you feel obviously good as you leave the session behind. But remember, if Larry's too optimistic, you'll regret being too greedy if you don't take something off the table in tomorrow's session. Let's go to Lou in Florida. Lou! Hey, Jim, thanks for having my call. I appreciate it. And thank you for your team for allowing me to speak tonight. I appreciate that so much. Team is awesome. Makes me look good. It, you, don't even know, it, not, it, you don't even know the half of how many they look good today. It's a crazy day. Go ahead. Um, okay. And uh, I just want to add on something. Um, you know, when, when you and David Faber aren't on someday, and I regret that, my wife and I are going to look at each other in boredom some morning with our coffees. <laughs> we have so called David and I have a great time. That's, it is a, a job, but it's a great just, time. It's a job. I, I understand, but it's a great job. Thank you. Thank um, you. Listen, um, my concern is uh, I own Carnival Cruise stock long term. It recently raised its dividend. The last quarter was, I see, great. Share buybacks are coming in. They announced it. Bookings are way up, 30-plus percent. Um, we're, we're avid cruisers, and we see the rooms filling up very fast, uh, demanding a higher price, and people are paying such as we are. Right. Um, the industry we think is strong. It's just my opinion. Uh, Royal Caribbean reported today, and they had positive things on uh, cruise industry yes. as well. Uh I just okay. wanted to get your well, genius. Well, here's what gene. happened. I mean, they, they guided, Royal Caribbean guided not as strong as we thought, and that caused Carnival to go down. I think you buy Carnival. I absolutely think you buy it. Rocky in Montana. Rocky. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. Wild, breathless. How about you? What's going on? Oh, not, not too bad. Uh, I'm doing pretty good, brother. I just had a question on GoPro. I was wondering what you think if you would buy, sell, or sit on the stocks you currently have 
I, I want you to I, I want you to sit it out. Now I'll tell you why I want you to sit it out because we have incredible stocks like Amazon, literally, that I would pay all the way up here for, rather than be in that stock. There's just too many things going right at Amazon. Fang tariffs trade. That's what matters. I just can't get over Amazon. And we got Sprint and T-Mobile talking to each other. Hey. You, I don't want this day ever to end. Oh, man, money today. Domino CEO Patrick Doyle just reported his last quarter at the helm of the company, and he's going out with a bang, not a whimper. I'm sitting down with Doyle and the incoming CEO just ahead. Man, I'm offering up a mea culpa on what I once considered the ultimate Trump stock. And my exclusive with American Electric Power, find out how this country's really doing. I'll find out also what it means for interest rates. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Domino's Pizza did it again. Yep, when the fabulously run pizza chain reported this morning, it delivered yet another stunning blowout, sending the stock up $17 or 7.3%. Domino's posted a monster 23 cent earnings beat off a $1.77 basis with much higher than expected revenues, up nearly 26% year over year. Better still, its domestic same store sales grew at an 8.3% clip. International numbers grew at point, uh, by 5%. That's substantially better than last time. Remember when everyone was so worried about it? Under the leadership of outgoing CEO, Patrick Doyle. Domino's has become a technological powerhouse. That's how the stock has gone from $10 when he first came on the show in early 2010 to $250 as of today. Talk about leaving a company in better shape than he found it. So let's check in with Patrick Doyle. He's the outgoing CEO of Domino's Pizza and his successor, Rich Allison, currently the president of Domino's International, to get a better sense of the quarter and the rain that was Mr. Doyle's. Mr. Doyle, Mr. Allison, Mr. Doyle, welcome Thanks, back Jim. to Man Money. Rich, first time. Good to see you. Thanks, okay. Jim. Um, I'm going to let you do something. I'm going to let you tell our audience how big those shoes are. About a size 13 <laughs> or so, Jim. <laughs> big shoes to fill for sure. And what would be your uh, – do you think that you'll just take the technological mantle or has everything been done that can be technological? Because you just did hot spots and you, you've got virtual assistant Dom to talk about. You know, Jim, we've got a lot of runway left in terms of the technological uh, innovation that we're driving in the company. Just launched Hotspots, as you mentioned, now almost 200,000 of those around the country. And just this week, we've been talking about our DOM artificial intelligence natural voice ordering, which we're piloting in 20 How stores. How does that work? Well, it's incredible. You know, you, you, just like you would use Siri or Alexa, um, you're gonna, when you call Domino's, a natural voice uh, response system will take a, a pizza order for you, any one of the 30 million or so variants that you would have. And it really is. It's our path to being a 100% digital company. Well, it's brilliant. Patrick, you put it on the course. How did you see it? Most execs are just now discovering the digitalization of things. I mean, Jeff Bezos, blowout number 10 at Amazon, but yep. he was there and you were there. How did you know that it had to be a technology company in order to be able to beat the other 
other guys? You know, we started experimenting with it. The first digital orders were actually taken in our UK business. And we started seeing the economics of it and understanding, you know, how good the customers felt about it. And we just decided, you know, there's there's something here. There's a big opportunity here, and we think we can own it. We think if we do it ourselves, we can create some real competitive advantage here. And Team's been amazing. They just keep coming up with more ideas and more ideas. And, but, but you know, your, it's your exciting. But you uniquely captured the zeitgeist of a whole generation of people who really don't like to use the phone to talk. Yeah, yeah no, you're right. You're right. And, I mean, it's just a better experience for the customers. And, you know, we even ran an ad a couple of years ago. You call our store on a busy Friday night, it may not be a great experience, right? I mean, it's busy. The people are run around making pizzas, and, and the easier we can make that for them to take great care of our customers, the better the overall experience is going to be. Why were you always so confident that you started your campaign with, with an, that you started your reign with an ad about how the box <laughs> tasted better than the pizza? Yeah. Why were you always willing to take such risks? You know what? You just, you've got to do what's right for the business, and, and part of it is just our DNA. We're, you know, we're a good Midwestern company. We're going to tell you the truth, and we know we had a problem with the food, and we're going to tell you straight up, and, and thankfully it worked. But well, it's, it's why we started. You know that. Yeah, I told I you that a long time ago, yeah. when we put the, and you put the no cheese button on. Rich, uh, there are still five out of six. I got this from the conference call. Five out of six pizzas are not yours. How do you get to 50%? You know, we're in a, a great position now, Jim. You know, we're the number one pizza company in the U.S. and around the world. But still, one out of every six pizzas in the U.S., one out of every 15 outside the U.S. Very fragmented market. So we've got a lot of opportunity to continue to gain share. Well, I wanted to ask you, uh, International was soft last time. And then uh, uh, Patrick came on and reassured us. How can we know that reassurance is for real? So what happened, uh, Jim, is we got back to value again. You know, all of our same-store sales growth in Q1 was order count driven, which is the healthy way to grow a right. restaurant company okay. over time. And so that's how I feel good about the business is I think our franchisees are really focused on that core value positioning with our consumer. All right. Now, hotspots to me, uh, you're going out with a bang with hotspots. Just yep. tell people what it is. You get, you get the right. You've earned your right from 10 to 250. Go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, almost 200,000 hotspots now. So basically what we did is we gave customers the ability to order a pizza to a non-traditional address. So to a park, to a beach, to a sports stadium, to a... You know, anywhere that you mean that to you where we really of, want it, where you want it. And so not only is it going to be a great opportunity just to pick up some sales, but frankly, you know, if you order Domino's to a picnic or to a sports event and you're watching your Eagles, you know, you're going to remember it, right? You're going to associate our brand with something that was really cool and outdoors. It's going to help people feel great about our brand. So we're excited not only by just the incremental sales. Mm -hmm. But, but I think how it's going to connect us to, to people having a really good time. And how, how do you guys feel about GPS these days, what you can do with it? Well, we're piloting uh, GPS in the U.S., uh, in California, Jim, and we're actually using it quite extensively in some of our international markets, Australia, U.K., and we think that's going to be a key innovation as we think about the next generation of delivery. Okay. And, and if you think about it, it ties very closely in with what we're doing around autonomous vehicles and just thinking about the best ways to get our food to our consumers. All right. And the last thing I want is to give you a chance to praise who you always do but don't get enough time. I want you to talk about what it's like to be to have people create something by being drivers, delivery people, yeah. and then what they went on to do. 
You know, it, it is the most rewarding thing for me. And, and what we do is, I mean, over 90% of our franchisees in the U.S. started as hourly workers. They work up through the system. They run a store. They're successful. We give them the opportunity to, to buy a store and become an entrepreneur. And we're this little entrepreneurial factory. It's what's most special. It's what I'm going to miss is these amazing people that have created this opportunity for themselves and the people in their business. Well, we're going to miss you, but we're happy that Rich came here to start the start over and get it from 250 to 500. Worthwhile goal. <laughs> Thank you so much to Patrick Doyle, outgoing president and CEO of Domino's, and Rich Allison, who's incoming CEO and current president of Domino's International. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Good. Jim. Companies just can't catch a break. Not long after Donald Trump won the 2016 election, I told you that Whirlpool might end up being the ultimate Trump stock. We put this button on for it. Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump stock. And it's an American manufacturer that was being swamped by the unfair practices of our trading partners. I figured the president would take action to protect Whirlpool, mainly from South Korean firms that were dumping washing machines on the U.S. market at ridiculously low prices. Sure enough, in January, the president did exactly that. Remember, Trump's protectionist turn didn't start with steel and aluminum. It started with a large tariff on imported washing machines and, yes, solar panels. At the time, it looked like Whirlpool was about to reap a major windfall. So I told you that it was a cautious buy, but a buy nonetheless at the end of January. The company had some operational issues, but I figured the washing machine tariff would more than balance that out. Turns out that was a mistake that I made. Yep, I got it wrong. Since then, the stock has come down 31 points. Ouch. While some of this has to do with the fact that the market has simply gotten a lot more challenging in the last few months, other parts of the story are company-specific. I should have been more cautious on Whirlpool, so mea culpa. What made me whiff so badly? And more importantly, what should you do with the stock now? First and foremost, I expected Whirlpool to get a big boost from the washing machine tariff. But tariffs can cut both ways. When the president imposes new steel and aluminum duties, that hurt Whirlpool. These are huge raw costs for the appliance maker. Second, earlier this week, Whirlpool reported a pretty subpar quarter. Sell, 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 sell. There are a lot of issues here. More on that in a minute. On the other hand, though, just today, obviously sensing that the stock is way too low, the company started what's called a modified Dutch auction tender offer. They're repurchasing $1 billion worth of stock and willing to pay anywhere from $150 to $170 per share, depending on where the auction ends up. This is an $11 billion company, so retiring $1 billion worth of stock is very significant. It suggests that Whirlpool's management believes their stock has gotten way too cheap. Suddenly... With the not-so-hot earnings on the downside, but the positive Dutch tender offer now on the table, this has become one controversial stock. Yesterday morning, Goldman Sachs cut their price target for Whirlpool, which they already rated as a sell. But then Credit Suisse, which is the stock as a neutral, raised their price target from 165 to 170 Even the analyst community is having trouble coming to a consensus here. So with Whirlpool down dramatically from the market-wide peak in late January, what are we supposed to do with the stock? Okay, the last time we talked about Whirlpool, the analysts also couldn't agree either. I mentioned a downgrade from Raymond James and an upgrade from KeyBank. In retrospect, I should have given more credence to Raymond James's piece because one of their biggest fears has come to pass. Among other things, they told us that Whirlpool was likely to be the victim of higher raw costs. Turns out that was very right, and Trump's steel and aluminum tariffs only make the situation worse. 
Fast forward to this Monday night when Whirlpool reported its latest quarter. Numbers were not reassuring. Company delivered a 19-cent earnings miss off a $3 basis with weaker-than-expected sales down 0.7% on a constant currency basis. On top of that, Whirlpool's ongoing operating margin stayed flat at 6%. Now, that's not what we wanted to see. The president slaps a big tax on farm washing machines, and Whirlpool still can't expand its margins. A major reason for this is Whirlpool's raw costs. They've risen substantially. Their word, not mine. Meanwhile, Whirlpool is burning cash at a much faster rate than last year, and the international business is doing, I don't know, horribly. When you back out the impact of the weaker dollar, their sales decline in every region overseas. Get this, Europe and the Middle East down 8%, Latin down, America down 3%, Asia down a little less than 2%. And it's not like the North American business is in great shape. It was up just 2.5%. However, the stock actually rallied on this disappointing quarter for a couple of reasons. First, Whirlpool maintained its full-year earnings forecast. You would have expected a number five. Second, the company made two major announcements. They're selling their Embraco compressor business for a little over $1 billion in a transaction that should close early next year. And they're doing that $1 billion tender offer I mentioned earlier, the one that just, that just might retire 10% of the share count. Basically, they're selling the compressor business to, buy, to pay for this big buyback. So if you own Whirlpool here, should you tender your shares? Should you get rid of it? Should you just say, I've had enough? I mean, remember, the debt tender uh, auction process that began today, it's the company's going to be paying between $150 and $170, and it's a $155 stock, so we don't know what you're going to get. Or to put it another way, is the bearish Goldman Sachs going to be right with its $130 price target, or will the more bullish but still pretty cautious Credit Suisse be right with its $170 forecast? Goldman's pretty skeptical about Whirlpool's ability to make the numbers. They see raw costs continue to rise, and margins are only going to come under more pressure as companies like LG and Samsung start opening factories here in the U.S. to get around the new washing machine tariffs. They're all going to be Trump stock, Trump, Trump, Trump stock. Needless to say, given where they think the stock is headed, they don't think this tender offer is the most brilliant idea. How about Credit Suisse? All right, let's be clear. This firm is really not enthusiastic about Whirlpool. They have a neutral rating on the stock, and they see a lot of risk here. They only raised the price target by 5 bucks yesterday to account for that billion-dollar repurchase that I'm talking about. Still, that makes them more bullish on Whirlpool than most. Credit Suisse believes the company may be able to offset rising costs by raising prices, and they think it's possible that the company can turn around its international business. If you ask me, and I've you know, obviously been beaten up by this one, I think it's pretty thin gruel. Now, Whirlpool's saving grace is that they have a very cheap stock. The darn thing trades at just 10 times the midpoint of their earnings forecast for the full year. But given how badly the company missed the numbers when reported earlier this week, I think you need to be skeptical about their ability to hit that target. As a matter of fact, I am not reassured by their assurance that they can make the numbers. Clearly, Wall Street's skeptical, too, because stocks don't get this cheap when investors believe they can meet the earnings estimates. When something sells for 10 times earnings, it tells me that a lot of people believe those estimates need to be cut. So where do I come down? Look, I think this Dutch auction over the next month could help give Whirlpool a short-term boost. So you may get a better chance to sell. And I think you should take that opportunity. When a company misses like Whirlpool did earlier this week, its stock goes in the penalty box, and it doesn't come out until it shows that it can make the numbers going forward. The bottom line on this, a stock that I got wrong, what the government giveth, the government can take it away. I liked Whirlpool because of the president's tariff on imported washing machines, but that's only one small part of the business. And now Whirlpool's getting hit by the new steel and aluminum tariffs, which affect nearly everything they make. I think the stock can go a bit higher here if the president issues a lot of exemptions for the steel tariffs next week. But I would sell Whirlpool into that strength. It's just not worth the risk, not in this environment. 
there are a lot of easier ways to make some money in the stock market. Let's go to Roberta in New Jersey. Roberta. Hi, Tim. Hi, I've been a faithful viewer since the Cudlow and Kramer days. Oh, my. And then maybe you saw me with Larry this morning. How can I help? I certainly did. I certainly did. And I want to thank you for the education and advice that you provide for us. Well, that's what we're trying to do. So thank you for recognizing, Roberta, what we're up to. And I really appreciate, of course, New Jersey. Yes. How can I help? Uh, Well, based on the renewed interest in industrials, I bought a small position in Cleveland Cliffs, CLS. Though it's held up well in this current downturn, I'm concerned about how tariffs may affect this stock. So should I buy more, sell, or hold? No, I don't want you to buy more because it's a battleground stock. We don't know where the president's going to come down. We don't know what iron ore is going to do. It's a commodity maker. It's just too much of a dice roll. So I say no. Let's move on. Let's go to Brian in Georgia, please. Brian. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Booyah. Um, my question is, the stock price for Lowe's companies has decreased by about $24 over the past three months. Spring has sprung for over a month, and more people will be remodeling their homes, manicuring their yards, painting various rooms in their house, and updating appliances. My question is, would now be the time to pick up a few shares of Lowe's companies? I was going over this very story uh, with Matt Horween, who writes with me, my writing partner, and we both felt the stock was breaking down. Uh, And you know what? I'm not a technician as much as I am a fundamentalist, but I cannot recommend the second best when the best is out there. I think you should buy Home Depot for all the reasons that you said you wanted to buy Lowe's. All right, time to wash your hands of Whirlpool, mea culpa. There's potential the stock could go a bit higher, but that's when you want to sell. It's just not worth the risk. I've been spindle mutilated gotten into the washing and drying cycle. Much more mad money head. With so many unknowns in this market, is it time to, to plug into the utility that is American Electric Power? I'm sitting down with the CEO after earnings to find out what's ahead. Then, it's a bird, it's a play. No, it's Lisa Sue. Lisa Sue per woman. I'll tell you how the CEO of Advanced Micro Devices just saved the company from the garbage heap. And all your calls, rapid fire. Tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Yeah, that's been our pattern, and it's really unnerving for people who are trying to trade. Not so bad if you're trying to invest. Yeah, well, Facebook's helping Fang today. Oh, right? my. Fang's so back, it's scary. <laughs> it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. environment with rising interest rates, normally you're supposed to stay away from higher yielding stocks like the utilities. Their yields become less attractive as rates rise and their stocks tend to get slammed. Yet, oddly, the utilities in particular have been holding up pretty well in recent weeks, even as the yield on the 10-year surged above 3% the other day. Just look at American Electric Power ADP, the company that owns the largest power transmission network in the United States, along with some major power generation assets. They've been moving away from the heavily coal-based model, the one where they use cleaner energy sources, including a major wind farm project 
district in Oklahoma that we got to ask about. This morning, AEP reported a two cent earnings miss off a 98 cent basis, slightly better than expected revenues, and management reiterated its guidance. In response, the stock moved up nicely, and in fact, it's been gaining ground for the last 10 weeks or so. This despite the fact that AEP sports a 3.6% yield. You'd think this kind of thing would be going out of favor. Instead, it's hanging in there. So let's take a closer look with Nick Akins. He's the chairman and CEO of American Launch Power. Hear more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be with you again, Jim. Uh, it's great to see you, Nick. I've got to tell you, yeah. a lot of people wonder, well, hold it. How can those interest rates go up to 3%? And then I listen to you about your top 10 industrial sectors. They tell me maybe interest rates are going higher because business is pretty darn good. What do you think? Absolutely. We're seeing a really big turnaround here for the first time since 2011. We're seeing all of our sectors of the economy pick up. All of our companies are improving across the board in our 11-state jurisdiction, and all the customer classes are picking up as well. So, again, it's the first time since 2011, the lowest unemployment rate since 2000, and the GDP in our service territory is, is going at 3.3% versus the U.S. at 2.9%. So, so we're seeing a broad, a broad gain here. Uh, a lot of people have been saying to me, you know what, Jim, they cut those taxes, didn't matter. But you cite the impact of tax reform as one of the reasons. Oh, absolutely. Tax reform has, a, has had an impact, uh, obviously, from an expansion standpoint, and certainly with, with uh, uh, oil prices being higher as well. You see the oil and gas sectors, primary metals, uh, those kinds of uh, manufacturers are continuing to progress, and certainly tax reform helped them. So talk to me about the individuals, too, because you do mention that retail strong. Amazon reported tonight, so when I hear retail strong, I often worry that, that brick and mortar has got to be weak, and it's Amazon that's strong. But it seems like everybody's doing well. Yeah, we see the customer classes across the board. Retail is up 1.4%. Uh, certainly overall, our, our load is up 1.5%, and industrials are up 2.5%. So, uh, and you're seeing commercial growth as well. So across the board, uh, you're seeing the increases. And, and certainly from a customer standpoint, uh, you're, we're seeing customer counts improve and, and uh, across the board. So uh, great outcome. You know, when I uh, follow your company, I think about the strength of the region and how great it is and how much you've been able to profit for your shareholders. The analysts tend to want to focus on wind catcher. And, and can you just give me yeah. some clarity on that? Because I know ultimately that's going to be fabulous for the rate base and, of course, for the environment. Environment, but these guys just are, that's all they seem to want to talk about. So can we put it to bed a little or say, give it some clarity, as you said in your release? Well, certainly we're hoping to get that clarity in the May-June time frame when the four states that are involved, Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, and Oklahoma, are in the process of reviewing it. We get the approvals for that. It's a $4.5 billion transaction. Uh, and if you compare it against M&A, for example, it's $4.5 billion without a premium. So it's a great opportunity for the company. And what does it mean in terms of being able to produce power cheaply that you never thought could have happened, say, 10 years ago? Yeah, certainly has changed dramatically, particularly if you locate it in the right area. This wind power project is the largest project in the United States, uh, 2,000 megawatts of wind, 51% capacity factor, which means it's, the wind is blowing much of the time. So certainly it helps from an economic standpoint to have the scope and scale, but also the resource itself that's so prevalent in western Oklahoma. If you had to do it over again, is it easier to build now? or the, What were the mistakes that everyone seems so focused on? 
Well, certainly as you go look at, look at the size of this project, it really is being spread out among four different jurisdictions. But, but when you think about that scope and scale, it is a daunting uh, decision to make, and the commissions are making a lot of progress. We have settlements in Louisiana, Arkansas, and now a settlement in Oklahoma. So certainly it's been helpful uh, to move along that process, and they see the value and the benefits, particularly the benefits of a hedge against natural gas prices. Yeah, how much, uh, both as a utility uh, CEO, but also from your region, how much does it matter that we've had uh, deregulation going on since President Trump? Because I get the sense that deregulation has meant a lot to a lot of different industry groups in your area. Oh, I think it has. Uh, certainly the, the, the mood of the country, but also the ability to expand the capital being deployed, uh, certainly from a regulatory standpoint, uh, it really has uh, changed the nature of of the positive and optimism that, that many of our customers have. And with that optimism comes growth and investment associated with it. And obviously we're the beneficiary of that. And what's the strongest area of this country? Because it's gonna be within your region, so you'll be able to tell us. Yeah, so, so obviously uh, in our territory, the central Ohio area uh, is, is really growing very quickly. Obviously the oil and gas territories in Texas as well. And these are areas where you're seeing deployment of technologies around uh, oil and gas activity, but also in terms of the urban setting with our Smart Cities project in Columbus. It's been very positive to, uh, to drive investment and really focus on society uh, being in a much better place. All right. Well, you're a godsend. I'm so tired of the negativity. It's good to hear that people are getting jobs, being put to work, and big projects are happening in this country. That's Nick Akins. He's the chairman and president and CEO of America Electric Power. Nick, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Look, it's still the best one. I recommend it every time. All it seems to happen is it goes higher. Man, money's back here for the break. It is time! It is time for the lightning! Oh, 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 and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skate Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. Let's start with Derek in Mississippi. Derek! Hi, Jim. My question is about Walgreens. With Amazon, may or may not be getting into the pharmacy business. Is Walgreens a goodbye? Yeah, and we think Amazon's not going to go, and we think Walgreens is way too beat up, so I say it's time to buy that one. Paul in Arizona. Paul. Hey, Jim. Hey, sunny Arizona. Booyah to you. Oh, sweet. Enjoy. Thank you so much for calling. How can I help? Enjoy your show. Hey, talk to me about Arena Pharmaceuticals, A-R-N-A. Well, What's we like these special pharmacy. Pharma you know, we talked about it today when we had... Uh, Someone rec uh, bought, uh, recommended Sage, and when we did the uh, competition today, uh, you know, our draft, and it made me think, you know what, this is a good one, too. And so I think you've got a nice bet. Tyler in Virginia. Tyler. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I would like your thoughts on Dominion Energy that's now yielding over 5%. You know, I've got to tell you, you have to buy it. I know it's painful, and a lot of people feel like that it's got this midstream operation that they're worried about. I say it's time to think longer term. It's a good company. Let's go to Robert in Texas. Robert. Howdy for Houston, Texas, Jim. All right. Uh, I am wondering about Tower Semiconductor. That's T-S-E-M. Look, Tower's good, but I've got to tell you, I got Intel and I got AMD. Why do I got to mess with Tower Semi? Paul in Texas, Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My stock is Western Union, W-U. Doesn't is get any respect. It's just too hard to own. There's so many other stocks that are flying, I'm going to have to say no. Let's go to Chris in New Jersey. Chris. 
Hey, Jim. IDXX. What do you think? The humanization of pet story remains a bull story, ah, and I say bye-bye-bye. I need to go to Don in Massachusetts. Don. Hi, Jim. How you doing? I am good. How about you? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, this company designs, builds, overhauls, and repairs military ships in the U.S. Is Huntington Ingalls H-I-I. I've got to tell you, I have just, um, i got to tell you, I want you to take some profits. All the defense stocks are going lower. Now, will that end up uh, running out? Will that selling yet uh, die down? Yes, it will. But right now, we got to take some profits. I need to go to Steve in Kansas. Steve. Booyah. Booyah, Steve. And what I wanted to ask you, Jim, is uh, what do you think of uh, GlaxoSmithKline? You know, I like it. I I know a lot of people turned on it the other day. It's back up. I think this new person, Emma Wamsley, who runs the company, is doing a fantastic job. He's got a nice lead. GSK is for me. I need to go to Charlie in Pennsylvania. Charlie. Hey, Jim. Long-time fan since Cousin and Kramer. Oh, man. How about Larry? Go ahead. Oh, he's great. I think Lexan FinTech is a good idea, possibly. What do you think? No, the only ones that from China that I'm recommending are Baidu and Alibaba and Baozun, and that's it. I, I'm being tight uh, on the rest and not putting many of those Chinese stocks on. Don't like how they act. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Turnarounds don't grow on trees. Like the snow leopard, they are elusive creatures. Most executives simply don't have what it takes to make a turn happen. That's why it was so enlightening to talk to Dr. Lisa Sue, the CEO who turned around the once flailing and almost bankrupt advanced micro devices when she stopped by to chat about her quarter this morning on Squawk on the Street. I think it's fair to say that Sue saved AMD from the garbage heap and brought it back to life by fixing the balance sheet. Now she has the whole semiconductor company humming, with its gross margins expanding and its earnings on the rise. Believe me, getting AMD to turn a profit is a very, very big deal. Dr. Sue is as brilliant as she is humble. When she took over three and a half years ago, she had a seemingly Sisyphean task ahead of her. She had to take on Intel in the personal computer space. What a company. She had to challenge NVIDIA for graphics processors, which are used for everything from gaming to data centers to cryptocurrency mining. Even worse, she had to do it all with a company that had a tattered balance sheet and a somewhat tarnished reputation. But from this looks, from the looks of what I saw today after this quarter that AMD just reported, Dr. Sue is more than succeeding. She's actually taking some decent market share from a spectacularly run Intel and an incredible NVIDIA. That's a remarkable achievement, especially considering where this business was a few short years ago. If you open up a computer made by Dell or HP or Lenovo, it's likely you'll find AMD inside. If you're a gamer, you might be using one of their Radeon graphics chips. That's how you rack up $1.65 billion in sales this quarter, an astounding 40% increase year over year. That's how you increase gross margins by an amazing 400 basis points in one quarter. That's how you get the computing and graphics segment showing a $138 million profit versus a loss of $21 million a year ago. And that's how you get to the point where you can actually start paying down the debt you inherited to ensure that AMD's never in trouble again. 
Frankly, when the stock was at two bucks a few years ago, not long after she assumed the CEO job, many thought it was a corner. Now that the stock's at $11, up 13% in one day alone, I think it's going higher. Nobody doubts its viability, especially when you hear confidence and confidence, confidence and confidence, like you heard this morning on Squawk on the Street. I think that will expand as our margins expand. And yes, we will absolutely improve our balance sheet over time. And I think the idea is, you know, you need to invest when you have, you know, these very, very complex, you know, technologies. And we are, you know, investing in a way that, um, you know, we're improving the bottom line, but also improving our foundation. Look, this is a tough segment. I also think the stock of Intel is incredibly attractive here, as it's got a fantastic data center business, excellent personal computer division, and a very strong autonomous driving segment. Brian Krasanich is an awesome take-no-prisoner CEO, and this stock's incredibly cheap even after the stupendous quarter this very evening. That awesome upside surprise came from the data center and personal computer sales like those of AMD. NVIDIA, run by the great Jensen Wong, one of the, my favorite CEOs, is a longstanding holding of my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. NVIDIA is rolling out a host of new ultra-competitive chips that may blunt AMD's advances. But a rising tide is lifting all boats here, including AMD, which is a chip that probably would have sunk without the intervention of Dr. Lisa Sue. Oh, and listen up, cryptocurrency enthusiasts. Sue says blockchain is here to stay. She thinks that it will be numerous survivors currencies, graphics cards for cryptocurrency mining accounted for 10% of her business, and while they'll certainly be shrinking as a total part of an expanding pie, she says it will remain important to AMD. My conclusion, after listening to the call and speaking to Dr. Sue, I think the stock's a buy for the long term, and that's a tremendous achievement, especially given the rigorous and, yes, brilliantly run competition. Of course, I'd like AMD even more on a pullback. Who wouldn't? I say you can put someone right here and then plan to buy more if this wild market gives you any kind of weakness. Stick with Kramer. Amazon raising the price of Prime for new people. I think they'll all pay it. I'm leaving out Microsoft. That's a mistake. They had a good quarter and a good cloud growth. It's just on a night like tonight. But what can I say? It was just garden variety fantastic when we had unbelievable. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. Promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.